This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Amen. Well, take your Bibles, if you would, this morning and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. I told you I was going to be preaching through Hebrews. I want you to know I'm not skipping all the way to chapter 12. Uh, Lord willing, we will complete our series this morning on enemies of the soul. We've got some exciting stuff planned the next few weeks. Uh, Really some exciting stuff. There's a a couple of Sundays beginning of February you're not going to want to miss And then Lord willing, the third week of February, I will begin a series through the book of Hebrews and only God knows how long we'll be in that. So probably till the end of the year. But this morning we continue talking about these enemies of the soul. You know, one of those challenging things about my role in your life as a pastor is just simply trying to get you to think about your soul. Not just in the 35 minutes that I preached to you about your soul, that's a challenge as well to keep you engaged for those 35 minutes, but as you leave this place week in and week out, day by day, to make your soul something you're constantly aware of and and thinking about and seeking to have healthy. Because the truth is, is there's enough going on around us to kind of get us to neglect what is going on inside of us. I mean, many of us are just treading water. We're trying to keep our head above water. We're, we're just trying to survive. There is so much going on, not only around us as a nation, but in your own life. As I've been saying every week, it's so easy to be so distracted that the most important part of you is the most neglected part of you, and that's your soul. And so part of what we're doing here in January is trying to get us to think more specifically and thoughtfully about what's really going on inside of you. And the goal is not just so you think about it now, but so that in a really new way, maybe in a way you haven't done before, you would make a regular habit of just thinking about how you're doing inside. Because the truth is you can bury it, you can hide it, you can neglect it or ignore it, but what's inside is going to bear fruit. How it's going in here is determining every attitude and action that is coming out of you. Our souls matter, and I want to plead with us to be thinking carefully about how our souls are doing. Now, I think I have, in the last few weeks, maybe proven the point of why we often don't think about our soul. That's because it's hard, and it's emotional, And every one of these weeks have been hard and emotional. And the truth is, sometimes we just don't want to think about those things. We want to bury those things and keep those things hidden. But because we're aware of God's ability to take those difficult and hard things and make something good out of it with great hope, then we ask the Lord to do something. Now listen, one of the greatest joys of my life as your pastor is to walk with you through situations that are very painful and very difficult, maybe things you've neglected and buried for years, and by the grace of God, to help you discover those things, see them, hold them up, bring them back up, not because you're hungry for more pain, but because you believe there is a God that can take those things and heal every one of them. Now, that's the only reason we're here this morning. 
The only reason we showed up this morning is because we believe in a healing, miracle-working God who can take the most painful part of your life and make something beautiful out of it. If you believe that, say amen. This is what we're doing. We believe that God is good and he wants to take something extremely painful and make it into something beautiful. This morning, we talk about one of the greatest enemies of our soul, and that is the enemy of bitterness. The enemy of of bitterness. Now, this may not be something you've thought of very often. You may not even really be able to define it, although you might have come some sense of what it is. It's something I hadn't thought of much until I was around for an extended period of time, a pastor by the name of Bill Eliff, and he handed me a little book that he had written, and he said, I just want you to work through this. It's on forgiveness. And I said, well, I think I'm fine. I don't really think I need to forgive anyone. He said, well, just do me a favor, read it, and it tells the story about a very hurtful situation in his life, and then kind of gives a little workbook of how to work through healing the hurts of our lives. And as I begin to read this, God began to expose things and he began to break me. And this has been a somewhat regular habit of my life. And much of what I'm going to teach you this morning comes from what I've walked through in this and what God has taught me about the issue of bitterness. And the reason I know that bitterness is something every one of you deal with, that every one of you have to come to terms with, that every one of you has to think about and understand the reason you struggle with bitterness is because every one of you has been hurt. Every one of you has been hurt. Some of you very intentionally, some of you unintentionally. Some of you have been hurt by massive circumstances. Some of you have been hurt by a lot of little circumstances. Some of you have one defining moment that hurt you deeply. Some of you have just been around someone that word after word after word has created a thousand little hurts. Every one of us has been hurt. Sometimes we get hurt by someone. Maybe a parent intentionally and unintentionally has hurt us. By things that they said, I stood right there about a month ago and talked to someone who said to me that their father said one word to them when they were in the middle school and it defined what they did and didn't do for years. I've heard that story a thousand times. Maybe it's a friend who betrayed you, said negative things about you, turned their back on you. Maybe it's a spouse who through maybe big things or small things has hurt you. Maybe it's a child who said some things in a difficult moment or a heated moment or disappointed you or ran from you. Maybe it's a stranger. Maybe it's someone you don't even know their name, but you know the way they hurt you. Sometimes it's just something. Sometimes it's a circumstance, a disappointment. Life did not turn out the way that you thought it was going to. Maybe it's a financial crisis or the death of a loved one or just some situation. And maybe it's God. Maybe the real hurt in your life is your disappointment with God, your frustration with God, that things were not the way that you thought they were gonna be, that in some moment you felt as if God was not there. The truth is we live in a broken world and we're surrounded by broken people, including you, And the sad reality, inevitable reality of living in a broken world surrounded by broken people is that every one of us is going to get hurt over and over again. We're all broken. 
God didn't intend it this way. He, he created us to be whole and to be healthy in a right relationship with him. And one of the beautiful things about the gospel is that while sin made everything around us and in us broken, when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and we begin to walk with him, what happens is that God puts us on a pathway towards wholeness once again. It's a pathway. It takes some time, but God wants to take broken people and put them back together. He wants to take your hurts and make something beautiful out of them. Now we say, Pastor, what, is, what does hurt have to do with bitterness? Well, listen, bitterness is simply harbored hurt. That's all it is. Bitterness is harbored hurt. Bitterness is that little hurt when you were five or six or seven or 10 or 25 or 30 or 40 or 50. And instead of it being dealt with in a proper way and healed, it was buried and hidden and it becomes a harbored hurt that always turns into bitterness. And all of us respond to these things in different ways. Some of us weep when we think about our hurts. Some of you lash out in anger when you think about your hurts. Some of you withdraw from other people and keep yourself at a distance. Some of you seek revenge. Some of you have just grown suspicious or depressed or addicted. Some of you have hurt others or you've tried to hurt yourself. Why? Because it's all mechanisms to try to cope with hurt. Maybe you've just buried yourself in work or in hobbies, doing anything you can to drown out the memory of the noise of the hurt. And so instead of healing the hurt and acknowledging the hurt, we've harbored the hurt and it's turning into bitterness. Someone said to me this morning, hey, pastor, you, you excited about the sermon today? And the only thing I could think of is this, I'm excited about the possibilities of the sermon today. I'm not, I'm not excited about preaching about bitterness. It's heavy. It's hard. I'm literally going to be asking you in a minute to take some of those things that were buried 20 years ago and bring them up again. I'm going to ask you to do that. But it's because I'm absolutely convinced in the power of God to heal those hurts of your heart. So I am fired up about the possibilities today. I am thrilled with what God could take you through in order to make you a whole and healthy person with a soul that is thriving and giving life to every one of those around you. That's why I'm encouraged about today. Now, I want to bring two things to your attention. First of all, I want to create in you a terrifying fear of bitterness. I want you to see it for what it really is. And then I want to create in you an incredibly hopeful picture of the goodness of God who is able to overcome all of that. So if you look at that little verse in Hebrews chapter 12 in verse 15, I want to begin by showing you why we should be so terrified of harbored hurts. Why you can't bury those things any longer. You can't ignore them any longer. If you're there in Hebrews 12, 15, say amen. It says this. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That you don't miss what God is offering. You don't miss his goodness. You don't miss his ability to do something powerful in your life. Don't miss it. See that no one fails. And see to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble 
and by it, many become defiled. It just says there, there's three realities of bitterness that should make us terrified of, of it. Look, look at what it says. It springs up, it causes trouble, and by it, many become defiled. Why should you deal with your bitterness? Well, first of all, because bitterness always springs up. It always springs up. I'm so thankful for the way in which the Bible oftentimes gives us poetic language to demand that we think. And here it talks about a root of bitterness. That a root is something that is unseen, that can go unseen for years, but will eventually come up out of the ground and it will bear some kind of fruit. So just know this, that harbored hurt is a root. And you might have buried it, you might have pushed it down, but just know this, it's still there. And at some point, it's gonna spring up. It may not spring up for 20 more years, but it's gonna spring up. It is impossible for a harbored hurt to not eventually spring up. If I wanna put it in Georgia terms that we'll understand, think about bitterness like kudzu. It takes over. It drains the life out of everything else. It steals the energy from everything else. It kills everything else around it. It will spread and you can't stop it. You must know this about bitterness. It will spring up. That harbored hurt will eventually come to the surface. In 2013, when Andrea was diagnosed with stage four cancer, it was a very aggressive cancer and we had a very aggressive doctor who believed in a very aggressive form of treatment. So they found a couple of significant spots and where there was cancer. And they said, we're gonna begin with 600 hours of chemo infusion. And they did, and they said this, we don't see any cancer in your brain, but this type of cancer usually spreads there. So even though we don't see it, we're gonna give you three spinal taps with chemo injections to get into your brain. And they did that. At the end of all of that, they did a PET scan and they saw one tiny little glowing spot. It had been almost her entire chest, just one little spot. And they said, listen, we've got we to get that out. And so they did surgery. And the surgeon who also was very aggressive went in there and scraped out all of the dead tissue from the dead tumor and everything around it. So much so that he ended up piercing her lungs and she had to have the tubes coming out of her lungs to drain the fluid. And he actually showed me a picture of all the stuff that they had taken out of her body, all of this dead tissue. And hopefully in the midst of that dead tissue being so aggressive, they would have got the little bit of live tissue as well. They did another PET scan and it was gone. No more glowing spots. They said, listen, we still don't feel comfortable because there was a spot there. So they did 26, 26 rounds of radiation. Now why, after all of those things, do all of that? Because they understood this, one cancer cell can spring up and kill you. And so they took the most aggressive approach in order to make sure there wasn't anything left. Let me tell you something. One of the most terrible diagnoses that you can ever receive in your life is the diagnosis of bitterness. If there's even a cell of harbored hurt that God has not healed, it will spring up. It says, don't let a root of bitterness be there. Don't even, don't even let the root, don't take care of the, take care of the root, get it out because it always springs up. Look what else it says. It not only always springs up, it always causes trouble. It causes trouble. Now we all have our different responses to hurt. 
Some of us have as a response to our hurt, manipulate others. Some of you have grown very passive aggressive because of your hurt. Some of you are just passive and some of you are just aggressive. Anger almost always comes out of hurt and resentment. An oversensitivity where you're around someone and you're always on eggshells because you're afraid you're gonna do something to set them off. Most of that, some of it comes from pride. Most of it comes from hurt and bitterness that hasn't been resolved. It could manifest itself in a critical spirit or someone who's constantly cutting with their words, someone who is harsh in their tone. What is that? That's unresolved hurt. And it says that bitterness is always going to cause trouble. So where we think it's just our issue and we need to kind of just keep it to ourselves and it's okay if I don't deal with it. No, you have to know this. Based on the authority of scripture, it's gonna come up and it's gonna cause trouble in some ways. And you may not know what way now and you don't have to know what way now. You just have to believe that unresolved hurt will cause trouble. As a pastor, one of the ways I see that the most is in families. I don't know why it is. I was talking with my D group, junior high guys, a couple of weeks ago, why it is that we seem to often maybe speak the harshest to those we love the most and uh, why we seem to be hard around those in our family. And the reality is most of us have been hurt maybe by family more than anyone else, intentionally or unintentionally. And the truth is, is if that stuff's not dealt with, we don't figure out how to deal with that hurt, then what happens is, it's gonna cause some trouble somewhere. It may even destroy the family, but it's gonna cause trouble. It always springs up. It always causes trouble, but it also tells us it always defiles many. Look at what it says. And by it, what? By bitterness, many become defiled. If you circle in your Bible, circle the word many. Many become defiled. Listen to me, bitterness cannot be quarantined. You can't suppress it forever. It is always going to spread. And even if not to your immediate family, it will spread to the next generation. Uh, one of the ways in which I'm gonna plead with you in a minute, one of the reasons you deal with bitterness is because not only will it hurt you, it will hurt the next generation. A bitter grandfather, a bitter grandmother, a bitter mother, a bitter father will infect the next generation by it, many are defiled. There may be no lesson I've seen played out more in the life of a church than the kingdom principle that your sin is never just your problem. Your hidden thoughts, your hidden attitudes, your hidden actions, it is never just your problem in ways that you cannot see. Your sin is affecting those around you. College students, students, your sin is affecting those around you. Singles, parents, your sin is not just your problem. Know this, your bitterness is not just your problem. By it, many are defiled. Early on in my ministry, I had an older couple came and joined the church. And I recognized very clearly that it was gonna be a little bit of a challenge to win this woman over. She would walk in on Sunday morning, I'd say, good morning. And she would say, well, you wouldn't say that if you woke up with my husband. And I knew him, she was right.
It didn't matter how you greeted her every morning. And uh, she would always come with some critical response or some harsh response. There there was never anything positive. She was the opposite of a life-giving, joy-giving person. She was just hard to be around. And I remember uh, my associate pastor, Darren, and I met one week. And we decided, you know what? We're going to make it our personal ambition to win her over. We're just going to like obnoxiously kill her with love and kindness. Like when she tries to pull away from the hug, we're not going to let her. Like we're going to look her in the eyes and go, isn't God so good today? We, I mean, and we just piled it on. I can tell you exactly where I was the day she called me. I, I can see it exactly where I was. She was crying. She's in her mid to late 70s. And she said, Pastor, I don't know what to do. I, I need to tell you about something. She said, there was a party and all of my friends were having this party and I found out they didn't invite me. And I thought, this is, this is middle school. She's in her late 70s. She's crying because she wasn't invited to a party. She said, so I called them and I said, why didn't you invite me? And they did the most terrible thing they told her. I said, because you're no fun to be around. Every time we invite you, you make things worse. You don't bring any joy. You always talk in a negative attitude and we just don't want you around. She called me crying saying, I don't want to be that kind of person. So I invited her to come to my office and we sat down and we began to walk through some of this stuff. I'm going to walk through with you here in just a minute. And I said, tell me a little bit about your story. And she told me that she got married very young to an abusive man that she didn't know very well. They had two kids together. He eventually abandoned her, causing all kinds of trouble in those children. So those children didn't do well, and none of them walked with the Lord. Then she got married to this next man who wasn't a walk in the park and wasn't a really affirming or a joy giver. She told me about a grandchild she had that had died in a tragic accident and there had never been any justice and no one had ever figured it out. And as I listened to this woman, I realized there's a reason she's like she is. Harbored hurt. Real, legitimate, painful hurt. That at the moment in which it happened, instead of dealing with it and being healed from it, she just harbored it. She just buried it. She pushed it down, probably thinking that the best response was just to ignore it. And she might have ignored it in her 40s and in her 50s and in her 60s. But just like Hebrews 12, 15 said, it ultimately sprung up and every person in her life was living under the wake of her bitterness. Her children, her grandchildren, all of her friends, everyone in her church lived in the constant wake of her harbored hurt. By it, many are defiled. So what is, what is a better way? Burying it is not the better way. Ignoring it is not the better way. Harboring it is not the better way. Is there a better way to deal with the hurts that we have? And the answer through the gospel of Jesus Christ is yes, there is a better way. There is a way that you don't have to become a bitter old man, a bitter old woman. It is possible to find healing instead of harboring. I mean, just listen to what it says in Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. So it says you have a choice here. You can take it and you can put it away. It's command. Put it away. Get rid of it. And be kind to one another because bitter people are not kind to one another. Forgiving one another because bitter people don't forgive as Christ forgave you. Colossians 3.13 says this. Bear with each other 
Why does it have to say that? Because we're not easy to live with. So bear with each other and forgive whatever grievance you may have against one another. Forgiving as the Lord forgave you. So both of these texts are calling us into action. Notice it, do something about it. Don't just let it sit there. Don't let it lie. Deal with it. I love those words where it says, let it be put away from you. Get it out and deal with it. I really believe if you search scripture and you think about it carefully, the Lord gives us a process of how to deal with these harbored hurts. Now, the challenge of this message is this, and I I want you to hear this, is that what I want to do this morning is introduce you to something, and I believe God's going to begin some incredible work today. I believe it. I saw it in the last service. God is going to reveal some things to you, and he's going to put you on a pathway, but no, there's a pathway. And I'm going to walk you through the steps of healing these harbored hurts, but you're going to need to take some more time than this. If you were to come to my office and say, I've got this issue of bitterness, I would walk you through the same thing I'm going to now. But then I would say to you, I want you to go and get alone with God and spend some time and think about this more deeply. So I'm going to ask you now to write these things down because every one of you has hurts and you don't want it to turn into bitterness that ruins your family and the next generation. You say, well, I'm only a kid. I know, but if you got a hurt now that isn't dealt with, it's going to turn into this. Write it down. And then I want to ask that you take some time and think even more about it throughout the week. The first step in the process is this. You must acknowledge your hurt. Write that down. Acknowledge your hurt. This may be the most painful step to be willing to be honest about your pain. Let me just tell you, if you want to walk the pathway toward a healthy soul that is life-giving and joy-giving, you have to start as terrible as this sounds, with acknowledging the hurt and the pain that is in your life. You have to. And as difficult as it might seem to bring up that pain, it's worse, based on Hebrews 12, to not bring it up. So the worst thing you can do is ignore it. You have to start by acknowledging that pain. You have to stop thinking it's your fault. You have to stop thinking that you can bury it and no one has to know about it. You have to stop acting like it didn't hurt. You have to stop allowing it to be calloused by your lack of acknowledgement of it. You have to call it what it is. You have to see and say that you have been hurt. And all true inner transformation begins with accepting what is true. You have been hurt. And I'm just telling you, listen to me. You have to, for a moment, be willing to enter into it. Some of you hate this. You hate conflict. It seems ridiculous to ever go back and bury and dig up anything you buried 20 years ago. Say, why would you do that? Because it's not buried forever. It's coming back. It's there. I promise you, it's there. So what I'm saying to you is you think it's done. It's not done unless you've walked through the pathway of healing it. And so you got you to take it and you got to look at it and you got to acknowledge this was not my fault, but my word did this hurt me. It's left scars. And Lord, I don't want this to destroy my life and the life of those around me. I've got to deal with this. You got to hold it up and say, Lord, I need you to heal this. So you start by acknowledging your hurt. Second of all, you then admit your sin. Write that down. You admit your sin. This is counterintuitive to everything. So when you think about hurt, 
You're obsessed with someone else's sin. You're obsessed with someone else's actions towards you. And everything in your life is screaming for justice. I deserve justice. We'll get to that next. But here's the reality. That almost all of us inevitably, in our hurt, have sinned against God and others. And when Jesus teaches us to pray, he says, first, forgive me my debts and forgive those who are my debtors. Forgive my sins and forgive the sins of those who have sinned against me. It always begins with the acknowledgement of my own sin. So I stop for a moment and say, God, in what ways have I sinned against others because I've been harboring hurt? This is an essential part of the process. So you acknowledge the hurt. You then acknowledge its ramifications in your life and say, God, I want to start by humbling myself because God gives grace to the humble. And it just said in this passage, don't fall short of the grace of God. Get in on all the grace that God's got. He's got sufficient healing and power to deal with it. But you find that grace as you get humble and say, Lord, here's how I've sinned in the midst of this. And you confess that. So you see your your hurt. You then see your sin. And next, and here's where it gets real. You then release the debt. You release the debt. Here's the hurt. Here's my negative response. And then you acknowledge that every hurt person keeps a ledger in their heart of all the ways that people have hurt them. It's a little invisible notebook and it's got all the names of everyone who ever hurt us. It's a ledger. And we keep that ledger because in the courtroom of our heart, we don't want to forget it because in our minds, we feel like if we forget the person that hurt us, no one else is going to remember and who's going to keep them accountable. It is very difficult to take someone's name off the ledger. It just, something about it makes it feel like we've got to hold on to this, and if we don't, justice is never going to happen. And that's the sad reality of bitterness. The very person that hurts you is the one who's now controlling you. You're not sleeping because of them. You can't rest because of them. You're angry towards your children because of them. And that person that hurts you is now controlling you. And what the Lord is asking you to do is he's asking you to see that ledger in your heart of all the people that have sinned against you and all the ways that they've done and make a choice to forgive them, to release them from the debt, to do as Jesus says and forgive my debtors. Forgive those who have sinned against me. To clear the ledger, to choose that you're not gonna take Revenge. Just a little caveat here. Obviously, if you've been hurt in a situation that has broken a law, if you're in a relationship that is abusive, you come to us, we walk you through that, we'll help you make the right steps. So we're not saying there's no accountability for those type of things. Those things matter and need to be dealt with correctly. What I'm saying is this, that in your heart, you have to wipe the ledger clean and choose to not keep holding that hurt over them because in reality, it's just controlling you. And you know this is exactly what Christ has done for us. Second Corinthians 5, 19 says this, he has not counted our sins against us. We had a ledger. We had a ledger of all the ways in which we had hurt God and all the ways that we had sinned. And because of the blood of Jesus Christ, as we received Jesus Christ as the payment of our sins, the blood of Jesus Christ wiped that ledger clean. So now when God looks at us, he looks at us as clean and holy and righteous. The ledger has been cleaned. 
So this is why it keeps saying, in the same way that you have been forgiven, forgive others, the ledger has got to be clean, the ledger of your own heart. You say, well, how can I do that? How can I make the ledger clean when I so long for justice? And the way is Romans 12, 19. Not Hebrews 12, Romans 12, 19, which says this. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Never take your own revenge. Leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. What you're doing is this. You're releasing the justice to God, knowing that he knows exactly what needs to be done, when it needs to be done, and how it needs to be done, and you don't. You don't know. You don't know their story. You don't know their situation. You don't know how God is dealing with them. You don't know how the effects of of their sin and their hurt upon you and someone else. God is going to deal with them. You have to step back instead of me holding them accountable for that and constantly waiting for justice. I have to clear the ledger of my heart and leave the justice to God. He is a good and just God and he will make all things right. So I got to clear the ledger and release the debt that has been against me. And some of you, the biggest name on your ledger is God himself. That God has really disappointed you. That God has really hurt you. That if you're really honest, your biggest anger is not about someone. It could be that God allowed someone to do that to you. That God allowed you to get hurt. Where was God when this happened? And that's why the next step is so important. That we must also embrace God's sovereignty. Write that down. Embrace God's sovereignty. You have to believe by faith. That because of what God has done for you through Jesus Christ, you have the assurance that God is never against you. He is always for you. God is for you. He is good to you. He is doing something good in your life. And the same God, listen, who let Joseph be sold by his brothers into slavery, the same God who watched as Job lost everything, the same God that allowed his son, Jesus Christ, to be betrayed and rejected and despised and crucified is the same God that made a beautiful story out of all of those people's lives. He took something beautiful and made it into Joseph's life. He took an incredibly devastating story and made something beautiful in Job's life. He did something incredible through the life of Jesus, through his rejection. And listen, here we are, thousands of years later, receiving the benefit of Job's pain and Joseph's pain and Jesus's pain. Why? Because God is sovereign and he wrote a beautiful story out of all of the pain. And you have to know this, that God was not on vacation. He was not distant. He was not absent. God wants to take your greatest source of pain and make it the best part of your story. He wants to use it for his glory. He wants to use it not only in your life and in your children's life, in your friend's life, but he wants to use it in the next generation. Listen, could it be that as you take the most painful situation in your life and you begin to deal with it and get healing, that the generation after you sees the way you responded to that and you change the trajectory of your family because God made something beautiful out of something painful. This is what God does best. 
He's always been doing it. He's doing it now. And we have to trust that the God who allowed us to get hurt is the God who is writing a beautiful story out of it. And so we say, God, we thank you. We trust in your plan. I don't understand it now, but God, I believe that you're going to write something beautiful from this pain. And he will. And then finally, we, we have to bless others. We have to bless others. Romans 12, 14 says that we bless those who persecute us. I think the moment in which we really know that God is bringing healing into our heart is the moment in which with sincerity, we can pray that God would bless the person that hurt us. God, you, you wiped my ledger clean and you saved me and you forgave me for all of the things I've done against you. And then, not only did you forgive me, you didn't do it with resentment, you then poured down blessing on me. You opened up heaven and you just blessed me and blessed me. And in the same way, we not only forgive as we have been forgiven, we bless as we have been blessed. And we say, God, I have no idea what's going on in their lives, but God, I'm just praying that you, the God of heaven, would bless them. Help them to be whole. Help them to be healthy. God, bring something good in their life. Take away their hurt and their pain and God bless them. Because God, that's what you've done to me. Forgiven and blessed. What God wants to do is he wants us to begin a process in which we begin moment by moment, day by day, to walk through this pathway of saying, Lord, here it is, here's the hurt. Maybe immediately when it happened, maybe something 20 years ago. God, I acknowledge it before you. I acknowledge my own sin. I trust your sovereignty with it. I'm asking you to step in and bless this person. Use this for good. And one of the things I try to do week after week is I try to bring things down to their simplest form. Sometimes that's not possible. Sometimes things are hard and complicated. And I believe every step of this process is necessary. You can't skip, skip some of it. But here's what I want to say to you in its most simplest form. What God is asking you to do is just live out the gospel. Because this is what happened to you. You, you hurt God and you hurt others and you rejected him and, and, and yet by God's grace, he has forgiven you and he has made you clean and he has put you on a pathway to wholeness and then he just blesses you. He's just good to you and he's doing all kinds of favorable things in your life and now what we do as those who have been forgiven is we model the gospel, we live the gospel, we just walk this out in everyday life. We continue to forgive time and time and time again and release the debt and trust God's ability to take care of it. Trust his justice, trust his goodness, trust his sovereignty, just live out the gospel. There's some of you this morning who for the very first time need to move from a, a head knowledge about God into a life of really trusting and following him, saying, God, here's my pain, here's my hurt, here's my past. I give it all to you. I just wanna say I trust you with it and I'm gonna choose to follow you. That's what it means to be a believer. You don't just know the facts, but you've chosen to trust and follow Jesus. Some of you need to do that this morning. You need to call upon the name of the Lord and say, Lord, save me. Some of you need to take that area of hurt and honestly, in a, in a physical way, kind of take that root of bitterness and say, Lord, this is, this is incredibly painful, but I just want to say, I trust you with it. Lead me in the path of wholeness. I don't want to carry this any longer. Let me just say something. We have a miracle working God who can begin right now today making something beautiful out of something painful. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. 
Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.